When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're an absolute astonishment. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 it's an awful bit, it's only one of them a week, you know, because they come around too fast and they're gone just as fast as they arrived in the building. But you, you enjoy them while they're here. So Friday morning means we have loads to do and not a whole pile of time in which to do it. So we'll get straight down to business. Where have I put my... This is a great way to start. Where have I put my notes on my screens? There they are. They all disappeared on me just as we came here. But they're back. They're back. Come here. Imagine ringing your mom to give her good news. Really great, great news. And it goes all over Twitter because your boss films you ringing your mom. It's a lovely clip. It's a really lovely clip. And uh, big standing ovations all over McCroom this weekend for Erica O'Shea, footballer, of course. And she plays now for the North Melbourne Tasmanian kangaroos in the land of wonder down others down under she's out there only since June and the team coach out there is a fellow called Darren Crocker who they all call Croc and she rang or yeah she rang her mom with a little bit of news and and the clip is is kind of gone a small little bit mad on Twitter uh, Croc call me no way to go yeah. And he told me that I'm making my debut on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's crying. <laughs> Isn't that just the coolest thing ever? Making her debut for her new club down under on Saturday. Well done to Erica O'Shea and best of luck to her. And also to Vicky Wall who joined 
uh, during the summer, actually just earlier this month, she joined from Meath. Good luck to Erica this weekend. 0818969696, lots to do today. Yesterday, we were talking about dog-friendly weddings, and we good crack about dogs getting their hair done in Peter Barks and stuff like that. Believe it or not, we were contacted by a woman whose dog was her bridesmaid. No, seriously, her dog was her bridesmaid. And also, <laughs> I tell you, the people listen to this show with another woman who had two kid goats at her wedding. We'll talk to them all later. No, not the goats. We'll talk to the woman later this morning. 0818-969696. We start with a, a long shot. We like long shots because sometimes they just work out. Um, you'd never, ever know. What can happen when you bring a long shot to the opinion line? Irene Queeley, hi. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, Tilda has lost her teddy. Yeah, her baby. Yeah, we were um, in Fota last week. We were staying in the hotel and uh, we visited the park and all the rest. And she had obviously baby down with her. And we kind of packed in a hurry and left. And about an hour after we'd left, I went, Till, did you have baby and, and doggy? And uh, we stopped the car, checked the bags, and no baby or doggy. And so we drove back to the hotel and rang them, and uh, no joy. And they looked and they looked and they looked, and they found one, but they didn't find the other, which is baby. And she has it since she was six months old. They found doggy. The devastation. They found Doggy, but no baby. Was Doggy in the room? Uh, Doggy was in the room, and uh, she, the two of them, she sleeps with since ever, you know. Yeah. And uh, what got it? So just, just pure devastation. And uh, she was, you know, she's also in hospital this week for treatment. Oh. And you know, uh, what got it? So it's just, you know, she's, she's, she's over. But, um, and you know you can explain it but it's it's just really hard for her you know it's a big big loss and know, uh, yeah I and I, I just I think it resonates with a lot of people ah god it does I mean it does I mean okay she's 10 and yeah. she's had but she's had babies since she was what tiny and it's he's always with her and look I, I have a a daughter who'll be 25 next month and there's a little stuffed toy goes into her suitcase this Saturday when she's going on her holidays so you know you, you get it I completely <laughs> get it I completely get it yeah. Pu- puppy goes everywhere I completely get it so describe yeah. d- describe a baby for me it, it's he's kind of not got a body he's got a kind of a it's, it's it's got one of those flat blankies, you know, yeah. and uh, they kind of have a silky back. And um, it was once upon a time kind of pink with trimmed with brown. It kind of has, I would say, a cross between a cat face and I don't know, a little bear face and yeah. little and little hands. But th- but that's it. And uh, what's good, like we we had a, a number of them when she was small, you know, and we'd rotate them and wash them and do all of that kind of thing. But when she was about three or four, you know, she had picked one, you know, it had a, uh, a special <laughs> stink all of its own. And uh, she 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 got her dad to sew on a button so that there'd be no more codding her, you know. So she has <laughs> had just this one. And, um, and, you know, it's just, I mean, 
you know, I, I would say to her, oh, please let us wash it, you know. And she'd say, but mom, that's the smell of love. And, you know, it's, oh, you know. Oh, dear me. I know. Yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. answer like, that, can you? No, you can't. And I mean, you know, as I said, it's, you know, it's not like it'll be anybody else will pick it up. Love and cornflakes and, you know, and orange uh, juice and chocolate and probably. Yeah. But, uh, Just, yeah. The whole lot, you know, and uh, what's good, and the back is rubbed off it. You know, she loves the, it's it's all the silk is now knobbly and whatever. But it's just, it gives a lot of comfort. And, you know, she she um, she um got diagnosed with this unusual kind of rare, um uh, it's called CRMO. And it's a, a pain, it's, also, it's an autoimmune disease where there's um, inflammation in her bones and it causes a lot of pain. And so that's what she's in for. And it's just having to see her go through it without it, it's it's tough, you know, for her. So yeah. I suppose that's, and people have been incredibly kind. The people over in Fota have pulled out that whole hotel mm. upside down and inside out. I, so I, I suppose best. you were so. talking to my pal John, the concierge down there. Oh, I, I think they just think I'm some mental <laughs> person, you know. They've been so great, like I have to say. Well, you know, if it can be found on, the, on the complex, John will find it. You'll be absolutely yes, sure of exactly. that. exactly. Were you yeah, staying no, in the hotel or in the lodges, Irene? So we were staying in the hotel itself. Right. Um, so, so the fear is that it's been fired into a bin or something like that. But, you know, we're just hoping against hope. And, and people, a friend of mine put up that tweet yesterday and people have just been super amazing. And like, actually, that's even been really nice for Tilda, you know, because she kind of feels, you know, people are trying their best. And, you know, it's, know. it's yeah. Your, yeah, your fear is it that Teddy might have got into a, into a laundry because... <laughs> By the look of him, he could have been caught up in a sheet or a pillow. And actually, to be fair, I've rang the laundry people as well. He could have easily, because you know he he can be stuffed under the pillow and he can be whatever you know. But uh, just on the off chance, if if anybody did come across him, and uh, you know, as I said, and just one question, (laughs) Irene, you left the hotel. He wasn't at breakfast, no. No, no, no. Um, and I asked her, no, she said, no, mom, you know, she, she believes he was in the room she left with, him in with bed. doggy, she you know, so right. yeah, she, that, that's what she believes. But then, you know, you never know. She may I have, know. Uh, like, I don't know. And from, know, so. from the hotel, where did you go next? So actually from the home hotel, we, we drove off and we went down to Cove and we were heading off over um, to go to Spike Island and do all of that when, when we realised actually right. that he wasn't. So I tore apart the, the, the car and the bags at that stage. Yes. So you, because a couple of weeks ago, someone rang us about an iPad um, and that they thought was long gone and there it was and it found. So So miracles happen. Irene. They do. And, you know, I know look, we're looking for a long shot here. But yeah. if it did, it'd be amazing. And, well, uh, you know, it'd be so appreciated. And I appreciate you. Thank you very no, much. No, for, no, no, no. And, and particularly with, with Fota, I know what you say about them. They tore it apart. My good pal, John Coleman, who's the head concierge in, in Fota, like John would take this on as a personal mission to try to find this yeah. dead even. Oh, no, they, they, they were just fantastic. And actually, would you believe yesterday somebody actually retweeted? and said you know they had found one outside and all the rest and um uh i was like oh god it's strange they haven't been in contact but it was actually somebody else's little uh blanky kind of thing could you believe somebody else lost theirs so there you go so can you imagine how many teddy bears go missing in a hotel in the course of anyone giving you right let's see what we let's see what we can do so i think do we are we going to share the picture and i 
he's a, he's a cute little fella. We, yeah. We'll try and share yeah. the picture, and we know they've searched in photo, but you never know. You see, someone could have been maybe gone into the room. You could have gone into laundry or could have slipped down under the bed and been found the next day by somebody else who exactly. lovingly put it into a bag and said, I'll tell them downstairs, and then didn't do that. Anything could have happened. Exactly. So just hoping for a tiny, whiny miracle, you okay. know, if it happens, you know, that would be great. Okay. So I, We put it again, on a Facebook page. It's on the 96M yeah. Facebook page, so hopefully someone might have come across it, all right? And great. Listen, by, thank you so much. Not at all. By the way, just uh, how is Tilda? She's in hospital, yeah? Uh, yeah. So what's going Yeah. So she she's um, getting this treatment and actually, um, so she's had this for about two years. So it's, it's, you know, when the pain is, you know, they get flare ups and stuff like that and it can be quite bad. But they started a new treatment. So this is her second lot of it. And uh, so she had actually a, a pretty good summer on the back of it. So long may that continue, you know, so um yeah, really grateful to all the staff up in Crumlin and actually Waterford. They're, they're pretty amazing, I have to say, the doctors and nurses. Great. We've just been told here that there's a shop in Wilton. I think I know this shop. There's a shop in Wilton has a great selection of, of these kind of things. So it would never be the same, but maybe you could find a replacement if, 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 one, if you can find it. Yes, exactly. Well, you tell that person thank you kindly. You know, right. uh, appreciate it. All right. Okay. All right. Th- Irene, thank take you care. You, you would never know. You would never know. Thank you, Irene. We, we've shared the picture on Facebook. This little fella, they were staying in Photo Island, the hotel, left himself and his compatriot, um, doggy, in the bedroom, and we don't know where Teddy went. They went back and they found doggy. But they haven't found Baby. He's called Baby. Little grey fella. Little, he's like a little rag with a head. That's kind of what it's like. But that line from a little girl, um, can we wash it because it smells? Uh, no, that's the smell of love. I mean, come on. Little girl and her teddy bear. Oh, I know. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be just great if we could start the weekend off by finding Baby? Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. It was around this time last year we were talking about the robot trees in the city. Uh, the most expensive seats ever installed. It was nearly 400 grand's worth of these robot trees which were supposed to collect samples of air and the moss in the tree. You know yourself, there was a big massive palaver about it this time last year and we were promised data to show how effective they would be in cleaning the city air. Well that data has now been put back until next year and he took a bit of flack over the spending of public money on it last year uh, when he was Lord Mayor and now Cullum Kelleher you're annoyed that we have to wait until next spring 
for this data. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you keeping? Good. You got flack when you were in the office of Lord Mayor over the... And I was one of the ones giving it to you over the amount of money being spent. <laughs> yeah, look, a, 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 an astronomical amount of money when you consider it for over €400,000. Um, you know, as I was saying last year, it wasn't a capital budget we had ourselves in Cork City Council. This was uh, funding given by central government to local authorities under what was called the July stimulus package to try to, you know, we were all in the middle of COVID and, you know, the government gave local authorities funding the length and breadth of the country to, I suppose, you know, get capital projects done or get 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 projects done. But um, here we are 12 months later, over 400,000 of public money spent on these robot trees or moss walls or whatever you want to call them. Um, I can, you know, vividly remember the morning of, Finbar pulling up, uh, driving me up Patrick Street in the car and being handed my itinerary and I said, what am I doing here? And it was a case, well, we're launching robot trees. I said, robot what? So uh, the itinerary was handed to me. I went out, I got briefed on what they were um, and what they were supposed to do um, and was assured that, you know, they were for the well-being of the citizens of Cork and they'd purify the air and they were part of a larger city-wide uh, clean air strategy. So, um, you know, that being said, here we are 12 months later and we were promised and elected members were promised that we would have the data available to us within 12 months. Now, these are very, very advanced pieces of technology. Let's call it straight, a spade a spade. I know they were called robot trees, but they're not a tree. They're, they're a large computer with a moss wall attached to them. Um, they can they can actually tweet, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. They can, um, you know, they can monitor everything around them. And I, I don't think it's right, nor is it fair, after public money being spent, that amount of public money being spent on the 12 months later after we were promised that we could have the data available, that it's been pushed back to spring. Now, it is being pushed back as a part of larger strategy of the clean air inside in the city centre. As Lord Mayor, I also launched a, a clean, a car-free zone and a, a smoke-free zone in and around Oliver Plunkett Street. Mm. And my only fear now is that the data that these trees are collecting is going to be incorporated in a larger uh, report and the data will get lost in the wash. And I don't know, is it a case that it's been done to camouflage the fact that they may or may not be working? Mm. I don't know. But we were were promised uh, within 12 months. And my colleague on council, Councillor John Maher, was very vocal as well. He was. I remember talking Um, to him at the time. He said they were um, going to be the most expensive seats ever put into the city and and he he wasn't wrong. The other thing about it as well is that they're now become, and look, because they have nowhere else to go and nowhere else to gather, a lot of the Deliveroo riders seem to use them kind of as a meeting meeting point. And and you, I've no doubt yourself, Colin, you've heard of a bit of antisocial behaviour. Like if I'm in town in the evenings or at night time, I wouldn't go near one of these things because there are, shall we say, elements gathering around them. Um, I've seen people climb up on them. You know, and look, they don't. I, I personally don't think they're aesthetically pleasing to the eye. You know, other, you know, the architecture, architectural people may think them. I think they look personally like pallets. You know, um, four hundred thousand euro pallets with a bit of grass in the inside of them to monitor clean air inside the city. Uh, that you know is one on uh, Patrick Street, and uh, we've other, we've we've two on Patrick Street, and we've others on um, Grand Parade, and. I just want to see the data. I think it's 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 quite disingenuous to spend that much of amount of public money. Um, promise us twelve months later we'll have data to prove that they work, 
and 12 months later saying, well, no, we'll incorporate it in another report in, you know, the new year. And that other report will, as I said, will par- will form part of a larger clean air. Do you know what I'm laughing at? Colin, I'm laughing away quietly to myself here because you you, t- you said to me how Finbar handed you the brief that morning and you're wondering what exactly am I welcoming here? But then you had to welcome it and support it. And now you're saying, am I going to be made a liar of 12 months on? Exactly, you know what I mean. And look, as Lord Mayor, and every Lord, every Lord Mayor will will, will attest to the fact that you do get your um, you do get your data in the morning, and you do get your um, you do get your 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 itinerary every morning uh, handed to you, and that's commonplace, yes. regardless of where, where you are going. You know, yeah. um, and basically, if you know, it, it is the case of, as I said at the time, the Gospel according to Nicola, um, you would just basically uh, be handed your diary on a Friday evening and they go through your brief um, and so forth and so on. And that was handed to me. Um, I'll be, I'll, I'll throw my hands up the, the, the Friday before it. I was handed my brief. Uh, it was very late in the evening. I didn't read my brief for the following Monday. Um, and I, I read it in the car on the way there, um, which would often happen because yes, as Lord Mayor, you do, you, you, could have, you, could have twi- you could have 19 or 16 functions in, in one day. Oh, you're busy, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. And, you're, you know? and you're saying, right, here's the thing. I, I backed it and now I want to know what I was backing and I can't get the data until the spring. We'll, we'll be talking to, to Councillor John Maher a little bit later on as well this morning, but they have become, I think, and we're in agreed here, Colm, they've become a meeting point for Deliveroo and they've become mm. um, an attraction for, for antisocial behaviour. And like you said, there were times when just, they just and looked like a load of... A small bit of a, a small bit of a joke as well. My brother actually bought me a T-shirt that they were going around doing their rounds. I think it was hairybaby.com at the time, the T-shirts, Attack of the Killer Robot Trees. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd <laughs> be Hairy Baby, all right. That'd be like something yeah, they do. Yeah, that'd be Hairy Baby. Right. But no, look, I suppose the grand scheme of things here, right, is that, yes, if they're going to be incorporated in a wider report for clean air strategy in the city, um, and it does they do work then look then yes they may work as a part of a wider thing but I want to know um, why cannot we be furnished the data for those on their own incorporate them in your report come come next uh, January or February by all means but give us the hard cold data on these now to see if they are working because as I said it was a lot of public money it didn't come out of our own capital budget but it's still public money we got it from Dublin but it's still public money at the end of the day and I do know that uh, when they were actually being um, when everything had died down I went back over there was a technical issue with them and I spoke with the engineers and I think they originally came from Germany Um, Lisbon for argument's sake and Portugal actually rented them first to see if they'd work and it's my understanding that Lisbon uh, have they haven't renewed their lease on them and they they were returned you know so look um, I'm I will be pursuing it, and I know I've even spoken with, with other colleagues in council, and John Marr was, as I said, very low, uh, vocal last year, right. and I know he will be pursuing it as well. I just want to see the data. Are they working? If they're working well and good... If they're not, um, you then know, don't try and bury it not, in a report in the spring. I think that's what you're, quite, spring, that's what you're exactly. quietly saying. Don't try and bury this in a bigger report. If they're not working, they're not working. Let's know now. Cullum, thank you. I'll leave it there. Uh, Councillor Cullum Kelleher, former... Lord Mayor, the Lord Mayor who had to welcome these things when they came in um, and now is wondering what exactly is going on with them, the robot trees. Now, I watched Primetime last night. Uh, There was a particular section in it about the fishing industry and focusing 
on the fishing industry out of Castletown Bear. And we've talked about this several times on the programme before with Patrick Murphy, CEO of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. And he's back with me now. Patrick, that primetime exposed a number of very serious problems for the fishing fleet out of Castletown Bear, let alone the fact that they may well be decimated in the next year or so. They're being paid to tie up their boats, which is utterly ridiculous. The local co-op can't actually get enough fish for its customers, so it's trying to buy them off Spanish trawlers. The local restaurants can't get local fish, and the price of diesel is breaking people's backs. It's it's in a bad way, Patrick. Morning again. Good morning, PJ, and good morning to the listeners. And PJ, thanks again for putting us on. Look, as you've said, we've been on before. We predicted all this on the show, and isn't it so unfortunate now that our minister... Um, made the revelations last night about it. But I, I would disagree with one thing that he said. He said that uh, the tie-up scheme uh, covered the uh, diesel. Now, that's impossible because the task force ended in October last year and the ta- we, there was no talk of war. We only met the Russians in February and it was after that, then at the end of February, that they decided to invade the Ukraine. So yeah. unless he had a crystal ball um, or, or, or imagined that we were saying something that we weren't, that that was incorrect. Yeah. Let, let's, go to it. Let's, let's go to it, though, Patrick, just for simple, keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. The, the cost of diesel is now so high that one fisherman was on saying it's a thousand litres a day, 5,000 euro per trip. This was a guy called Daniel Healy. And he can't catch catch more fish to compensate for that because of Brexit-induced quotas. So effectively, he's making a loss every time he starts his engine. Yes, and you see, this is the thing. If they stay tied to the pier wall, they're, they're going to lose their boats. They're going to lose their businesses because they've mortgages to pay on the boats. They've crews to pay. The crews won't hang around. So they're caught in a catch-22. You go to sea and take a chance that things will be better when you return to the pier wall than when you left. You take a chance that the minister will hear her pleas so that he will be able to give the money that Europe has provided to allow those lads to go to sea, the same as every other yeah. fisherman in Europe, like the French getting 35 cents. We're not asking for anything from anybody. This money is already there. It was in the last MFAF budget. The minister didn't say that. It's there, PJ. All the man has to do is just give it. So, it, so, it's, so again, it's, just, it's, just for, the benefit, for, for the just benefit of people who aren't across the industry, Patrick, and you appreciate that. So Europe has given money for governments to yep. supplement the cost of diesel, so to, to lower the price of diesel. Some countries, as it's France, are giving their taller men 35 cents per litre. Spain yep. are giving yep. some yep. money. We're giving them nothing, yet all we need to do is nothing. take the money and give it to the likes of the taller. That's ridiculous. And, and, and here's the contradiction now. We have boats in our organisation that went fishing in the Bay of Biscay for tuna and they got their diesel in France and Spain and they got a cut off their diesel for going into those ports so they, even the French and the Spanish have done more for Irish fishing fleet in regards to fuel than our own government now that is another fact and this is a crazy scenario where we're at where there's five and a half million that the minister has said is there and can be used for fuel, not just for the fishing, but for the processors, for agriculture, for everybody else in the industry that's suffering because of a height of prices. Just to continue, this I keep saying this to people, this is not a top-up, this is not money in fishermen's pockets. This just lowers the price of diesel to allow the likes of Daniel Healy, who's trying to pay his mortgage, 
raises two kids for the future in front of his family. He's risked all to do this. That's what the man will tell you. Yeah. He didn't get this boat from the sky. He borrowed money. He went to the banks. He needs to pay his loans. Yeah. He will lose all because if, if he doesn't get helped out here. Right? And just have a level thing between every other but, but fisherman the EU, in Europe. Pat, Patrick, the EU has recognised that the cost of putting to sea is so high. The EU has put money in place, and yet our minister won't draw that money down. It's there. It's worse than that, PJ. The money is there. It's given already. If he doesn't give it somewhere else, he'll have to give it back. It's from last year's budget, from the budget, 5.5 million of unspent money in the previous budget for fishermen. They allowed him to spend that on fuel subsidies and help out people, and he just refuses to do so. He's saying that there's other measures in place there that isn't yeah that, that line is nothing isn't holding and the best trust me you say that I don't like the people I'm telling you the truth no I watch also where the local the Castletown Bear Co-op a fine yeah, fine industry they, they are going out and trying to buy extra fish off, off Spanish trawlers to try to to to, to, to um, keep up with their customers demands because their own trawler men can't catch enough for them this is bonkers Patrick yeah I'm I was actually, this is before uh, COVID. I remember being in a restaurant in, in West Cork where it ordered fish. I mean, you're in West Cork, you order fish, it's the best fish in the world. And I was chatting to the, the waiter and I said, this is nice. I'm going off on holidays in a couple of weeks. I hope I get fish as good as this. And he said, I'll tell you one thing. He said, if you're going to Spain, you're more likely to get West Cork fish in Spain than you are in West Cork because of quotas and all that nonsense, Patrick is back on a better line. I think you are. Hello, PJ. Yes, the 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 co-op can't get enough fish to to meet its customers' demands. The restaurants can't get enough local fish to sell to their customers. We're bringing in the best fish in the world. We can't bring in enough of it, but the foreigners can take as much as they want. You see, we lost 25% of that fish in the Brexit deal. That's why we're in the predicament that we're in. We, we paid the highest price in Europe to stay uh, trading within Europe. 25% of the fish we were actually catching. The show showed 15% of the overall that we are allowed. But we don't catch all the fish. Uh, we'd love to, but there are certain fisheries that you don't fish in different areas. So we never hit the top target of what we're allowed to catch. So it's around 20%. You see... It doesn't take into consideration the fish, the non-quoted fish, the such as squid, that there was five million of that last because we weren't allowed to fish around rock all. So yeah. none of the full information. But here's, here's a startling fact, PJ, and I'm going to say this slowly. The boats that come into Castletown Bear, the foreign boats land 90 million worth of fish, the Irish boats land 30 million worth of fish mm. in our own country. Our boats are going out of business. They're building new boats in certain countries. You know, it, it is shocking what's happening. But the worst of all is is that we have the wherewithal to help our fishermen, really and truly, genuinely, with money that will be given back to Europe if it's not spent. And we're asking our minister, we're still pleading with our minister, please help us. Please help those lads that were on the television last night. Please listen to the industry that you are asking to give you advice and be on your expert groups that we're on that task force working for you. Why not keep going and believe what we're saying to you now? Right across the industry, there isn't one person in industry that would dispute the fact that we're talking about fuel prices. Not one person in any part, in a small boat, in a punt. They're all suffering. And this man 
has the ability to alleviate some of the pressures that are on the fishing industry by the stroke of a pin with money that's there for us to use. It's, it's, a, it's a complete and total no-brainer, um, Patrick. Just one question in from a listener before I let you go. I know you're heading for a flight. Do you have any idea where there are no mackerel or sprat around for the second year in a row? What's the story? Do you know? You see, the mackerel come from all the way up from Norwegian waters and they come into certain parts of the coast at different times. But we've been saying this in the southwest, whether people would like to believe it or not. But we have an invasive species called bluefin tuna, which are worth an awful lot of money. And they come into our waters and fatten and eat the fish that are inside there in massive amounts. We have videos to show it. We even have whale watchers showing videos of these fish that just tear through all these fish that people are talking about. And we're not allowed to catch them. There's a quota of over 2,000 tonnes for Europe and Ireland to get their own 12 to 14 tonne when it shares it with everybody else. So that's 2,000 tonnes for Europe, and of that, where we have the fish for six to eight months, verified by the Marine Institute, we get less than 20 tonne of it in the calendar year. So they're, the, the mackerel are being eaten by bluefin tuna, Yeah, but you're not allowed to catch the, t- the bluefin tuna? Yeah, exactly. Now, if we were the same as the United Kingdom, that would all change. Because the United Kingdom got their fish because they were coastal states. But our rights are being taken by us and shared with the rest of Europe, and we don't get a fair share. Now, we've put all this down in paper. We've given the minister himself a report recently that shows all that, that shows countries aren't even catching the fish that they're allowed to catch in their own waters. And all we're looking for is a loan of that fish back to Ireland, or lease it, and give it to us just to keep our boats fishing. Because do you remember this, PJ? I want to remember people that are listening to this. A few seconds, Patrick, I need to go, yeah. Fishermen showed to the public we didn't want any handouts. We just wanted fish. That's why we went to Cork and to Dublin to show that. We showed the country the boats that we owned, the millions that we invested in the fisheries, that we wanted to just stay fishing, just like those lads last night. Nobody wants decommissioning if they have enough fish. They're forced out. It's not voluntary. And, 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 that point. and it's not right, Patrick. Thank you very much. Patrick Murphy, CEO of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. Europe's fishing industry, France and Spain, thrive on fish that our fishermen could be catching and they're not allowed. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And yes, that same listener who was asking about the mackerel, a great explanation. You can't get mackerel for love or money. There's a shortage of mackerel. The reason being, as Patrick explained, the mackerel is being eaten by bluefin tuna. And if things were working properly, our fishermen could catch the bluefin tuna, which is a, a delicacy. I've eaten it, it's beautiful fish, but they're not allowed to catch the bluefin tuna, so the bluefin tuna is eating all of the mackerel. We hear quite frequently about horses and cruelty to horses and horses being neglected and left in all sorts of desperate condition around the city and county. We've, we've covered it more than once. In, in the last couple of years uh, My Lovely Horse is a charity we've spoken to before and they have uh, they're campaigning now or calling at least for a horse warden now Kelly Mellerick I, I thought we actually had one it's just that there was too much work there for them to cover everything good morning good morning PJ how are you good do we actually have one or do we not have one at all no, we don't have one. No, no, there's no horse warden at all in the city. So um, I suppose, look, you know, we have the the, the main Kildare farm. Um, what we would like for for to be to be acknowledged and to to note 
is that Dublin City Council have set up a specific animal welfare unit. They have a Facebook page. Um, there's direct contact lines. They work closely with our Kildare branch. And um, we would love to see something similar here for Cork City. Yeah, you say there were a surplus. You're, you were speaking to the Cork Independent. There's a surplus of horses and ponies they're not getting adequate care. They're not being kept in adequate facilities. They're getting injured. They're getting caught in barbed wire. They're starving. Yes, that's true. And I suppose, look, you know, even from our own perspective um, with the, the Cork farm and that, we have just gone, we're, we're basically going through an extremely dry spell. And um, we're even seeing it ourselves, you know, the streams are drying up, uh, grass is burning off. So there's even now at the moment, even less available to them than what possibly would have been if we've had a bit more rain, you know. And apart from the conditions, there's also an ill treatment element out there. Pardon, can you say that again? There's an element of ill treatment too, Kelly. It is, because look, you know, we've had this discussion so many times. Um, The horse's needs aren't being met and, you know, they they do require specific care. Um, There's a lot involved. It's not just about feed, it's about worming, making sure they don't have heavy, heavy worm burdens, that they're checked frequently for injuries. And we are um, receiving a lot of uh, private messages to our page and phone calls of people very, very frustrated looking at horses around the city um, with, you know, no feeding, uh, injured, uh, no water available. We have people going out and and trying to to supply water to horses as well, you know. Mm. Now, this might sound like an awful simplistic question, but but what is the job of a horse warden? Well, basically, I suppose like the Dublin City Council unit there, you know, they have specific people who will be there available to take the calls because, um, as I've said to you many times, PJ, you know, we are only volunteers in My Lovely Horse Rescue here in Cork. And like we we have our day jobs, but we're still taking the calls during the day, night times. There needs to be a specific unit that will deal with animal welfare. And that could be across the board. So not even just pinned down to just horses on their own. Mm. There's plenty of dog, dog, you know, um, calls we get as well. Cats, you know, so it could be just across the board for animal welfare unit altogether Mm. within the city and county. And you as volunteers and the great work that you do, and like you said, you all have your day jobs and your families to deal with as well. Well, but you've no powers either. You can get called out no. and to a situation and try to help the animal, but you have no powers. We have absolutely no powers at all. We we rely heavily on the Gardaí for evening calls. So we respond basically to the welfare calls. So like even there recently, if you recall there, that little young miniature foal that was on Blarney Road, um, that was in the night time. And like Oh, we had to call our vet, pay our vet and attend at the scene to, to put that poor little creature out of its suffering. Um, it shouldn't be falling back to us. I mean, our funding is is fairly low and, you know, we've been working around the clock and there should be specific units available for that and the public. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's so many times people call us and even at times their frustration comes back to us to say like, oh, what are you doing? And we can only do what we can do. We're very, very limited. Yeah. And as I said, the Gardaí, they're so stretched um, that we, 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 if we call them, they could have something else on and we absolutely understand they can't attend every animal welfare one with us too, you know. Now, Cork County Council has its own veterinary department, but Cork City Council doesn't. And of course, the, the borders have changed. So Cork City yeah, Council area is enormous now. So there are huge swathes of countryside in particular that exactly. don't, have, don't have a vet to attend. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's that, that that's very true. And like we've worked with the county vet and he's been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, whenever we've had to call them out. But as you just said, with the borders after extending, the city council now have a huge, huge area to cover. Okay. And it's the Department of Agriculture would supply this warden, is it? Well, the Department of Agriculture, um, basically the Department of Agriculture, they normally deal with all the welfare cases with private land. So they do pay a retainer to the councils to handle the city and the the, the stray horses, you know, the injured horses, those sorts of call outs. So they work hand in hand. It was the comment made that um, it was... um, what was it? Uh, 477 horses seized last year and the numbers were down, but it's not a true reflection. It can't be a true reflection because the only numbers you're, they're being obtained from is the councils themselves and they, they only deal with what horses are straying and impounded. So when MLHR go out and we're out there on the ground and we're picking up um, welfare cases through the Gardaí, that's not on the record. So um, it's only reflecting what they're taking in and impounding, you know. And there is no powers whatsoever. Lastly, Kelly, there are no powers in existence. You don't have them and the guard, they don't have the time to hold people to account when they mistreat a horse. Absolutely. And and more often than not, you know, these these calls always come in at the, in the night. Kelly, I'll, I'll leave it there for no reason other than the, the line collapsing and we don't really have a whole pile of time. So... Well, that's what Kelly Melrick is saying from uh, my lovely horse, Cork. There are no powers for them to intervene. The guards haven't got the time, and she fully understands that. Cork County Council needs a horse warden, and it needs its own veterinary unit to attend cruelty cases. And as she said, if she sees animals, should they just replaced immediately. So we need a horse warden in Cork City. Sorry that line went down. Thanks very much Kelly. 0818 96 96 96. On the subject of the robot trees and Councillor Colin Kelleher. Colin says it's great to hear a politician expressing doubts over the implementation of something he initially welcomed. There's too much best boy in the class behaviour from our political class. (laughs) He quite openly admitted that Last year, he went out, having read his brief in the car, welcomed these things, and now, a year or later, is wondering, well, are they going to make a liar out of me? And why can't I see the data? That's what he's on about, and he's half afraid, there's nothing to say it will happen, but he's half afraid that the data might be buried in a bigger report in the spring, if these things haven't been the great buy that we were all told they were. Stars on one show. This is Derek Hi, this is Tiesto. Hi, this is Shane Conn. Hey, this is Becky Hill. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Curry. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96 FM. You're listening to Highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, so this nightclub is called Club 77. 
It's in Sydney and it's been open for years. It opens seven nights a week until 4 a.m. Now, that's what you call a club. But there was a spike in sexual harassment. Some people were saying that after being effectively locked up for two and a half years, people were gone a small bit mad. And when they got out into the nightclub scene, there was a, a spike in harassment and a spike in unwanted approaches and a spike in spiking and other such things. So they brought in rules at this nightclub where unacceptable behaviour will be rewarded by getting chucked out and reported to the police. Now, unacceptable behaviour, you'd imagine, being caught spiking anybody's drink or being caught, you know, being inappropriate towards someone, that that would certainly constitute unacceptable behaviour, and so it should. And you come to the attention of a bouncer and find yourself out in your lug hole. That's fine. We all know that. But unacceptable behaviour, according to management at Club 77 from now on, will include staring at another clubber, approaching too many people, or giving unwanted attention. Now, the giving of unwanted attention, well, you kind of know what that is. But someone going out to a club at night and is hoping to meet a person and get a dance off them and whatever, people out on the pull old-fashioned out on the pole, men and women, let's face it, because they both do that. Um, that will now be considered to be offensive, unless you have consent. So, and also, you know, we've all done it. We've all done it. We've all sat at one side of a dance floor or at one end of a bar, looking down at someone on the other end of the bar, going, that's okay, I wouldn't mind knowing that person a little bit better. You know, we were all younger, we did that. That now, apparently, would be deemed unacceptable behaviour, according to management of Club 77, without consent. I'm kind of wondering, like, how do you get consent to look at somebody? It is all important in the context of consent, but people are already saying, well, what is unwanted attention, is one thing. The management say that we encourage you to interact with strangers, but any engagement must begin with verbal consent. I see. Anyone turning up with the sole purpose of trying to pick somebody up, in other words, anyone going out on the pull, as they used to call it, maybe they still do, I don't know. I've not done it in a long time. That's been discouraged. So the idea that you'd go to a nightclub with a view to scoring, as we used to call it, it's gone. Gone. You can't do that in Club 77. If they, if they spot you obviously trying to do that, then out you go on your ear and probably report it to police as well. They've actually hired special safety officers who will wear pink day-glow vests inside the nightclub to enforce the rules and throw out offenders from the club. I wonder what you think of that. 0818 Now, on the robot trees... We had former Lord Mayor Colm Kelleher was on with me just after nine. In case you missed it, Colm was the Lord Mayor who uh, took flack at the time these things were launched. And he had to, in his position as Lord Mayor, kind of say, look, it's for the betterment of the city. Let's see how it goes and all that. And now a year on, when the data from them isn't available, as was promised, he is now up in arms about it and wants the data published now rather than next spring. 
His fears are that if we publish it next spring, it'll be buried inside some bigger body of data and we won't really know whether these things are working or not. Another person who was quite critical of them at the time and spoke to me on the opinion line was uh, Councillor John Maher. John, you'd agree you would call him at this point. He welcomed them. He said, look, we'll give them, give them the, if you like, the benefit of the doubt. But now we need to know what's actually happening. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, I suppose, look, from the outset, I wasn't a fan of them last year and I'm not a fan of them now. Um, and I suppose it's, I suppose if, if somebody like me that who wasn't a fan last year, um, I suppose if you were from the other side, you think there would be data now presented that maybe would win people like me over. Um, but it's very frustrating when we find out this week that it won't be released until until quarter one next year. Um, you know, especially when we realise the challenges that we do have with regards to the climate and are these things working, considering that it was 380,000 um, spent on them. Yeah. Um, you know, and that it, it is frustrating when we find out then that it will be next year, 2023, that we will see the benefit of these. Um, considering, you know, that we're in the era of, of smart technology, um, PJ, as I, as I talk to you now, I have a small thing in my arm that tells me my, my sugar levels. It beeps on my phone if my levels go below a certain level and it beeps if they go higher than a certain level. Now, that's just my personal example. And we're telling me, that these air filtration systems that we've put in place, that we spent 380,000 and that we can't get data from them, I, I just find that very frustrated, very frustrating as, as, as an elected rep of Cork City Council. Um, and, 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 and it does because I, I listen to people and talking to people, um, you know, and know what it seems to me, and I'm open to it because I don't have the data to say otherwise, but we've just had some very expensive city centre seating. Yeah. I mean, if they're working and the data shows they're working, then well and good, they're working. If they're not and the data shows they're not working, then maybe they were a waste of 400,000. And like you said, data these days, like your sugar levels monitoring your diabetes, is collected in real time. So there's no one going around with a pencil and paper here writing numbers down. The data has been collected in real time. No, no, absolutely. And again, again, this is critical of, of the way local government and national government works. But um, but again, if we and I'm sure that my 30 other colleagues inside City Hall, if we had 300 and 400,000 to spend in the city centre, um, I'm sure that we'd all be united in planting more trees, putting a play, a play area in there um, for, for young for young people. You know, we could we could be a lot smarter ourselves had, you know, had we been given that opportunity. Well, I remember um, a comment we, made at the time, John by a number of people who said, can you imagine how many real trees it plant yeah. for 400 grand? No, ab- absolutely. Like, And I think, you know, when when we do, like, again, I'm, I'm kind of realistic that we do have challenges when it comes to the climate, uh, PJ. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there that need to be brought with us. And I just feel when we do things like we've done in the city centre um, with these robot trees, I just feel we lose people, and that's a, that, that's a, that, that's bad, and that's sad that mm-hmm. we do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be leading, especially because we need to be realistic. We do need to reduce the carbon emissions inside. I could also use the Partick Street um, caravan as an example. It's kind of a half caravan. You know, I'm in the city five, six days a week, you know. Yeah. It, it's just, and, and people ring me and go, oh, Jesus, John, I got caught today. And I'm like, yeah, you're the unlucky one, you know, because there is no consistency. Oh, John, I don't mind mind confessing this one publicly. I was in town one afternoon recently 
and I was halfway down Patrick Street before I realised, oh, sugar, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Now, no one, and, and no you, one bothered you, you me. And a lot of, yeah, you and a lot of other people, PJ, and as I said, we, we, there's a reason why we, we, we do these things. You know, There's a reason why we brought in the, the, the Panaban. There's a reason why somebody thought that these the, these the air filtration robot trees would work. But now that we don't have the data to back it up, that's frustrating. Yeah. Now, do you and your fellow councillors like yourself and Colm Kelleher and others, do you have any powers vested within you to force the release of the data, John? Well, we well we do. We can ask a question um, at the at the the upcoming council meeting, which is September after the August break, and um, you know, and the, there is the committee. Uh, then I'm I'm assuming PJ that that question then will go to the committee stage, and at the committee, I'm I'm sure that we could draw it out, and um, and again we can do it. I suppose, like you know, we can contact any of the the staff inside, and and in any other example I've had, PJ, people have been very, they're very they're very good to work with you, um, and and to kind of you know to mm. to to get to get solutions and 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 to, to to solve things so i'm hoping i'm hoping that we can do that sooner rather than later okay. and my number one priority is pj is that we need to bring people with us you know and the idea that we were kind of we've lost before we've even started you know that's just a bad that's a bad tone to set yeah um, and i just believe that this data we need it and um, we need it to see if it is working and if it's not we need to learn big time that we never do this again. Yeah. I'll leave it there, John. Thank you very much. Is it a thing? And look, I'm almost throwing it out there. Is it a thing that these robot trees are not actually as wonderful as people thought they would be? Because that's the suspicion now. But we don't know. We've said we can't have, they said we can't have the data until the new year. Thank you, John. Councillor John Maher. Margaret says a load of rubbish. And an eyesore. Waste of taxpayers' money. It could have spent on doing up vacant houses for people who are waiting on them instead of paying a fortune to private landlords. Christine says we passed them yesterday. The smell of sewage all over Cork City was revolting, by the way. And I'm not trying to be funny. It was stomach churning. And as we came to the super dry store just where the trees are, I said so much for purifying the air. Oh, I get your point, Christine. You could smell sewage. Standing right next to one of these trees. Yeah, I got you. Teresa was looking at them yesterday. They look awful. They're like dirty bits of timber painted over. I can imagine what the tourists are thinking. They are an eyesore. In fact, I'd use stronger words. A pile of pallets with leaves grown out of them is what some people called them. And screens in the side of them. I've never seen anything on them screens other than Actually, what is on them screens? Loads and loads of children starting school around the country. Hundreds of smallies, thousands of smallies, hundreds of them here in Cork alone, starting school for the first time in the month of September. And an interesting study from the UCD School of Education has said that the teachers that would be welcoming these smallies into the classroom would prefer they were able to do something like hang up a coat or open and close their lunchbox and put it back into their little bag. They'd much prefer the children were able to do that than to count to ten or do their ABCs or write their name because the teacher's job is to teach those things. And they'd prefer, if they had better 
social skills. I'm joined by Dr. Jacqueline Fallon, Director of Curriculum and Assessment at the National Council. Jacqueline, good morning. I was fascinated by that study. Well, good morning, PJ. And it has to be said that anything to do with the smallies, as you call them, particularly going into school is fascinating. Uh, You're absolutely right. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about them and to sort of shine a bit of a light on that particular phase in children's uh, school career, because it doesn't, um, it probably doesn't get enough attention um, at the minute. And because it's so important, that's one of the reasons NCCA is delighted to be supporting and funding the the research carried out by the, the team in UCD. And you're right, this is an absolutely fascinating study and really reflects what an important time this is, not just for the kids, but for their families, you know, and we all know how concerned parents are Mm. when their kids are starting school. And I think what you really picked up on is um, really how we now see what is really important for kids at this stage in their in their life. And I think what you're seeing is teachers really being concerned about children's holistic development. And we know that at this stage in a child's life, kids who feel really confident and competent, you know, who have that sense of, I've got this, I can Mm. do this. Mm. So when it comes to something like being able to zip up your coat when you're four and you can do it, that gives you a very good sense of yourself. And we know that that's a very important thing for kids to be bringing to their to their learning, mm. you know. It, it strikes me that the, to put into layman's terms, Jacqueline, what's being said here is that sending children into school for the first time with our job done, as it were, their, their 1 to 20, their ABCs, all that, that's all very fine. But the jobs, the things they should be learning at home, we'd actually prefer to see them not able to count beyond four or five but able to zip up the coat, hang up the coat, or put the lunchbox back into the school bag? Well, uh, this is true now, but we don't have to do an either-or, because I think what the, the report is telling us is there is a bigger picture here and that children's learning and development is happening uh, across a whole range of different things. And we know from the report as well that both preschools and primary schools are both very concerned about children's social, emotional and self-management skills. But I know myself, I I was a teacher of of infants for more than 20 years. When you talk to parents, what they will say to you is, I want them to be happy. And the good news is, from this report, we know that kids are happy in school. The kids here talked about they, they love being with their friends and they were really happy with their teacher. So there is a good news story in here for for parents, and I think it will be very reassuring for them to see that kids are happy in school and that there are people there, the teachers, who are really, really concerned that their kids would be happy, that they will get on well, and that they have good friendships, and Mm. that their well-being is well looked after. How important are the little social skills in 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 that happiness, as it were. Oh, profoundly. Um, we have uh, we have an early childhood curriculum framework that we call Ashter, and everybody in the 
working in the early childhood sector and indeed in um, the early years of primary is very familiar with it. And it talks about the importance of children at this stage, their learning happening in the context of secure and supportive relationships. Because, you know, an awful lot of our learning as human beings, an awful lot of our learning happens in social uh, contexts. Mm. You know, it's when we get together with other people. And the same is true for the kids. And this is one of the, 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 the reasons. And again, I think it comes out in the report. We're so, so concerned. And all these teachers are, and all of our early childhood educators, to see that young children are getting a lot of opportunities to learn through play. Because I think we're all very aware, whether you're a lay person or, uh, as I say, a professional in the field, we know that when children are playing together, they are learning and they're learning in this very social, collaborative way. They're learning to get on with other people and they're learning to understand other people and they're growing their own learning about the world. So, again, it comes out in the in the report, I think, the real importance of enhancing uh, children's opportunities to learn through play. And the teachers are really clear about that. Yeah. We've we've just finished um, a, a consultation where we talk to hundreds of um, teachers. Um, this is in the context of primary curriculum review and redevelopment. And they are absolutely adamant about this, that they really want to work with the kids in the way that the kids learn best. And we know that that's through play. In fact, we have a lot of, of teachers coming to us saying they should actually be getting opportunities to learn through play right through the primary school years. And that's something we're hearing very strongly as we go about our business of developing a new primary school curriculum. Is it that maybe the preschool programme then needs to change a little? Well, we've had, um, well, would you believe now, it's, um, I'm I'm not making this up, we are actually updating the early childhood okay. curriculum framework, ASHTER. And we have been, we've spent the last uh, more than six months uh, listening to the people, the early childhood educators who are working with the kids. And we can see the profound uh, change uh, that has happened in the early childhood sector. It's, it's just been with the introduction of the ECCE programme, which is where pretty much... Uh, virtually every child in the country now will have had a year uh, in a preschool, a minimum of a year. Most of them have had two years. And the the way in which the, the profession, the early childhood profession has responded, you know, how um, the qualifications have increased, uh, how the quality of the provision in Ireland has just, you know, is just terrific. And if yeah. you listen to parents who talk about it, they will say the same well, thing. But we are updating Ashtar. We are updating it because we know we we do need to bring it into line with the society we live in now. Something that occurred to me reading the the reports as well, ja- Jacqueline, was the five-year-olds that are starting school this September. They were the two-and-a-half to three-year-olds who got locked down the hardest and lost out on time as toddlers. Is that a concern for teachers, that the socialisation, the preparation, the learning to play might have been affected by the pandemic and the lockdown? 
Yeah, I think we're all, um, I think we're all very conscious, aren't we, about um, that lack of socialization, the the lack of of being out there mixing with your your pals, not being able to go to your preschool, and that's really evident um, at all levels uh, across the education system. And again, I go back to that um, real um, concern around making sure that the children get those kind of experiences in learning through play in primary school so that they are uh, really able to connect with their pals and connect with other children. But here's the good thing about this as well. We know that children are resilient. Yes. And we know that um, where they now can get that experience, where they can really make those connections in the context of those secure relationships in school, we know that children will make good progress. So the important thing is to be very positive about this and to make sure that they are in Mm. school and playing and uh, making those kind of connections with their pals. And lastly, based on the findings of this report and the ones that you've published, uh, if I was to ask you, Jacqueline, for parents who are preparing a smallie for big school right now, and it's a very exciting time in, in the house. How can they help the transition, help the teacher and help the child for a smooth transition and a successful one? Well, we go back to um, those issues that, that we that we started with, um, PJ. So making sure um, that you give your little one an opportunity to make sure that they can manage their own stuff, that they they can manage their lunchbox. Because one of the things we all know about about junior infants and kids at this stage is that they really could nearly eat their body weight. And one of the things you'll find in in infant classes is they want to have a go at the the lunchbox uh, from about half nine in the morning. (laughs) So making sure that they can manage their stuff and that if they have the little school bag, that they're able to get it on and off um, in their coat, that they're able to manage to get their coat off, get it back on, zip themselves up. Um, and the other thing, really, in the way that if, if, if you're a parent and your little one is starting school, the way that you talk about it yourself. And, you know, this is a time when a lot of parents think back on their own experience of going to school. And by and large, I'm sure that was happy, but people have different feelings about school. So in the way that you talk to your child, um, make sure that you're presenting it as a a positive experience, something that is going to be enjoyable, where they're going to be able to play with their friends, where they're going to be, you know, they're going to have a friendly teacher. Perhaps if you have older children in the school, that they can connect in with them. Mm. Um, Hopefully you'll have brought them to the school so they know where they're going and most kids do and a lot of early childhood settings now do make those kind of connections. So it's all about just that familiarity and then making sure that they're not walking into school on the very first day with a coat they've never put on before and don't know how to manage. It really is the little things, isn't it? It is the little things. It really is the little things Um, because in many cases, as we see, in the concerns, the big the big things are in place. You know, we have welcoming places now. You know, you can see from this report that schools are so concerned 
about the children being happy, being content, being secure and really getting the best start they possibly can. And in the NCCA, we're doing our best as well, because what we're doing here is in our work, we're making sure that the early childhood curriculum and the primary school curriculum line up really well so that there is a really strong sense of progression and continuity for the kids in making this particular move. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Fallon, Director of Curriculum and Assessment at the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. So, Smalley, starting school next week. Make sure they know how to zip up their their jacket. Make sure they know how to put their lunchbox back into their bag and all these little things, little things. That works better. And play, the importance of play. And I guess... When we were all talking back here about the pandemic and the effect it was having on schools and play dates and children learning through play, you would hope, you'd hope that the resilience is there. And we'll soon see, won't we? Because they'll be doing more studies in another couple of years on how the children of the pandemic, as it were, came through it all. Thank you Dr Fallon. 0818 96 96 96 on that nightclub Club 77 in Melbourne or in Sydney rather where you can't now look at someone. You can't sort of watch someone because it's deemed to be inappropriate and they're clamping down on it and you can if you're going to a nightclub on, on, on the pole or looking to score they well they they don't want that um, they'll throw you out and report you to the police <laughs> it brings a whole new meaning to our eyes met across the dance floor and what the hell is going to happen to love at first sight it is a good question it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 0818 96, just on a few of your comments to clear. Uh, robot trees. There's people sitting on the seats every day smoking cigarettes. It's true, actually. 
It's true. Smoking cigarettes up into the mossy. That's going to confuse all the data, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, on passports, we um, we were talking many times over the last few months about how slow and awkward it was to get passports issued. But what always comes through every time is just how fast the electronic renewal is when you've got your stuff together. Henry emailed us to opinion at 96fm.ie to say, I've heard so many bad stories about the passport office. I just wanted to contact you. I submitted my renewal application at half past 11 Thursday, the 25th, yesterday. I got my new passport this morning in the post. 21 and a half hours later to get my new passport off the postman at 9 o'clock. Now, I don't think anybody could beat that, Henry. That's nice to see. It sure is. 0818969696 on horses. And my lovely horse looking for a, a warden to be hired and better veterinary coverage for the city. I reported a case of horse abuse to the CSPCA and I was told that unfortunately there was very little they could do. The horse had four open wounds, one on each leg, and it was pulling a sulky. They said they've tried to get support to help the abused animals at this particular place but wanted me to email in as they need to build up a case so they can intervene. We need more power to prevent anyone who's abused an animal from having one under their care again. On fishing, now we're talking to Patrick from the Fishermen's Association from West Cork about the state of the fishing industry and the way it, it's almost as if, it's almost as if somebody somewhere wants the fishing industry in Castletown Bear to collapse and die out. It's almost as if, I'm not saying it is, but it's almost as if someone doesn't want our fishermen to have a future. Not saying who. PJ, out of ignorance, are our fishermen allowed to use marked diesel like farmers are? And if that's gone too expensive, well, God help us. It brings us back to tapping into Barry Rose gas and oil. Oh, don't, don't, Jimmy Horgan, don't. Jimmy, Jimmy, you. we know there's loads of gas out there. Loads of gas off our coast that isn't tapped into. But it's not going to get tapped into, unfortunately. That's that's just how it is. But yes, they are allowed to use the marked diesel. Uh, it's a uh, it's the green diesel, as the farmers used to call it. That's gone up in price ridiculously. So the farmers are complaining about it too. The diesel that you put into tractors and stuff like that. That that's gone way up. Yes, they do use that diesel. But in France at the moment, the government is giving the fishermen thirty five cents per liter towards their diesel. In Spain, I think it's 20 cents or something like that. Here, we could, the money's there, but our government is refusing to do that. The EU has put the money in place, millions of euro, to subsidise the diesel for the fishing trawlers. They're happening in Spain, it's happening in France, but it's not happening here. And as Patrick was telling us a crazy story, our long-range trawlers are going down into French water to fish down there and they buy their diesel in French ports and they get a discount on their diesel when they buy it there. Like, none of this makes any sense. None of it. 
Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Fresh from supporting Westlife for two nights at Porky Cueve, Wild Youth have announced a brand new headline show taking place in Cypress Avenue this October 23rd. Tickets are on sale now from the Old Oak and from cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Marking the one-year anniversary of his collaboration in the game, Susan O'Neill joins Mick Flannery for a hometown show at Cork Opera House on Saturday, September 10th. Tickets are on sale now from corkoperahouse.ie. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us now on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. We have something for you today. We've teamed up all day with VHI in partnership with Park Run. Your chance to win a Fitbit Versa 2. Whether you walk, jog, run or volunteer, Park Run is at your local park every Saturday at half past nine. Just check up your local one or sign up at parkrun.ie. Tomorrow in Ballancolic at half nine, Nina Carberry will be there uh, along with VHI. She'll lead the warm-up and there'll be goodies and giveaways and surprises for all the Park Run pals. So that's tomorrow morning in Ballancolic. Sign up at parkrun.ie. And you can win a Fitbit here on the Opinion Line and then you cross the day on 96FM. So what I want you to do is we're playing a piece of a song here. It's Faster Than Normal. Tell us the name of the song and your name, please. 083 396 96 96. Give it to you one more time before we quit today. But I want to stay with this topic and talk to Dr. Brian Carson, who is... Uh, in exercise and physiology at the University of Limerick. Dr. Carson, good morning and thanks for taking our call. Good morning, PJ. Uh, Thanks for having me on. The campaign, the Fitbit and the Park Run campaign, these Park Runs have become hugely popular. Yeah, they're they're, they're really popular. I I guess um, the fact that they're so accessible, that there's 132 locations around Ireland, the fact that they're free to attend and and any resources required are minimal, it kind of removes a lot of the barriers to exercise that people may have. They're also great fun, kind of an opportunity to get out in your your own community, get out and get a bit of fresh air on on a Saturday or Sunday morning uh, and get out and get a bit of exercise. And the real community spirit in them, um, you know, a lot of volunteers, volunteers uh, which help all the attendees but there's a kind of a camaraderie there and, and everybody's helping everybody to, to, to get their bit of exercise and to achieve their their park run on Saturday morning. What, what frightens people a little bit Brian is park run as in thinking I couldn't run a bath but, but you don't have to run. No, you don't have to run. Um, you know, you can get to your park run and you can run if you can. You can jog, uh, you can walk or you can even volunteer. Um, there's plenty of ways to get involved. And like probably for people who are a bit hesitant and, you know, wondering, well, God, I haven't been for a run in a long time. Park run's probably not for me. Honestly, they're the people who probably benefit the most from a from a health perspective. Um, even getting out there and walking the park run uh, and getting around, 
you'll get a lot of the health benefits and you might be starting from a lower base and therefore you've actually probably got more to gain. So right. if people are feeling a little bit hesitant out there, they shouldn't. It's a really supportive environment. And I should also say like nobody should be worried about it or think of it as, as a race. There are those who come to, to you know get personal bests on, on a Saturday morning and that's absolutely fine and it's brilliant. But that's not what it's all about. Uh, you'll never finish last in a park run race. There's always a volunteer who will finish behind you and so on. So mm. it's there to encourage you. So I really not, encourage not people to get out. No. No, it's not competitive. If if you're being competitive, the only person you're competing with really is yourself. Um, and there are uh, a large cohort who go for that reason and they're looking at their, their personal best times and you, you can track your times on the website, which is really, really brilliant. But ultimately, you, you know, the only person you're competing with there is yourself. And you're trying to have a bit of fun and uh, to improve your health while you're there. 5K in, in old money, three miles. The benefits, the physical benefits, Brian, of a three-mile walk entirely at your own pace or a three-mile, the physical benefits. Go through the basics for me. In a person who isn't, if you like, fit, who just gets out and drags themselves through that five miles or that three miles. Yeah, so I, I guess the problem kind of starts is that, you know, less than half of Irish adults reach the recommended guidelines for physical activity um, to improve their health. And this gets worse as we age. You know, it's, it's, it's only one in three adults when we get to the age of 65 and one in five after the age of 75. But the benefits of kind of achieving those physical activity goals or, you know, in completing that three mile or five kilometer um, run or walk at your own pace are, 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 there's a multitude of benefits so exercise has been proven to be beneficial in the treatment and prevention of 26 chronic diseases so the kind of major chronic diseases that you'd hear of like cardiovascular disease uh, metabolic diseases like obesity and type 2 diabetes uh, the prevention of cancer and so even by increasing your exercise by small amounts this is a protective effect on your overall heart and vascular health you can decrease your incidence of these types of diseases by almost half by 47 percent and when you go and do those three mile or five kilometer uh, events and if you start to build that into your routine and do it regularly what you're going to do is you're going to improve your cardiovascular fitness and ultimately that protects you from all chronic diseases and, and as well as that it improves your quality of life it improves your function um, and indeed your mental health we see even after doing one run so if you or one run or walk so if you go to join um, Nina and Caragaline uh, tomorrow morning and you complete the five kilometers there we've seen that even from that one bout that we get a, a huge improvement in our perceived stress and our mood even after that one single exercise. Mm. Well, funny that you should say that, Brian. I like to do a few runs on an exercise bike now and again, and, and the hardest part is getting up on it. But when you've done your 10 and your 15K, you sit down and you go, I'm so glad I did that. And you actually feel so good. Where, where does Absolutely. that feeling come from? What is, is that a chemical reaction in the body? Yeah, so it's a couple of things. So, you know, I'm yet to meet the person who says, God, I regret going for that walk or that run or that cycle this morning. You know, usually it kind of gives us that sort of a little bit of a smoke feeling, for want of a better term. But one of the things it does is actually it enhances our self-esteem. So what you see is you have a feeling of, well, I, I, and your self-efficacy. So I, I, I can achieve this. I've completed this. I, you know, I ran this distance or I cycled this distance. So immediately there's a, there's a boost 
in your self-esteem and your confidence and your self-efficacy. So your ability to maybe complete a challenge or whatever. So that's part of the feeling. Um, there, it's often been talked about in things like um, oh, there's an, an endorphin release. There's some, you know, the, the evidence for that isn't quite maybe as strong, but there are, we do see changes in, in chemicals in the brain in terms of uh, serotonin levels and so on. And they can re- help regulate our mental health. And that's why exercise and physical activity are so associated with, with, with our mental health. So tomorrow morning, half past nine, go on the park run and register. Yep. So all you have to do is go on um, parkrun.ie and you can register. And what you do is you, you, you get a barcode and it's the type of thing, a small little barcode, you stick it in the wallet and it means you can attend park run uh, on any given week in any given location. So even if you're not in your home place and there's a park run nearby on a Saturday morning, you can attend any of those locations uh, around the country. Is uh, there and a cost involved? Register once. There's no cost involved, so parkrun is free to everybody, and that's really important because that removes that kind of cost barrier to, to people getting involved in physical activity and exercise, and it enables people, uh, you know, to, to exercise in a, in a structured manner in something which is structured and put on for you, um, but with no cost to you and minimal resources. All you need is the pair of shoes or or, or a pair of runners if, if you like a bit more comfort. The obvious question, and today being International Dog Day, can I bring my dog? Uh, you can bring dogs and, and look, it's a, it's a, lead, a, a good opportunity. It's a good opportunity to get uh, the family out as well. So, you know, build it into your family weekly routine and, and, and see your neighbours. Um, there's also, I should mention, a junior park run, um, which is for kids. And they're usually run on Sundays. And it's a different challenge. It's a two-kilometre challenge for the kids. So they're good family kind of fun events and, and good habits uh, to develop uh, for, for the rest of the family altogether. You know, and know that on a Saturday morning, you know, by half nine or ten o'clock that you, you've done something for yourself for the day and something for your health. All right, leave it there. Thank you very much, Dr. Brian Carson, uh, exercise and physiology at your University of Limerick. Parkrun.ie has all the information. Yeah, it's International Dog Day, the 26th of August. Yesterday we were talking about dogs at weddings and venues that are dog-friendly. And we had a laugh about it, and we were contacted by someone after the show whose dog was their bridesmaid. Now, I'm not messing. I'm not making this up. Their dog was their bridesmaid. We'll hear from them in the next hour. But we beat that. Oh, that's not the best bit. Someone had a couple of goats at their wedding. What, PJ? Goats. We're a mad bunch. We love our animals. Today being International Dog Day. I have a little idea for you that we can have some fun for International Dog Day as well, seeing as it's Friday and seeing as we all love our doggies. I'll tell you about that after the news. You're listening to Highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Some of your comments still coming in on the robot trees and in particular on Councillor Cullum Kelleher, former Lord Mayor. He was the Lord Mayor, of course, had to launch them and and defend them at the time and defend the spending of money on them at the time. And now he's 
saying and was saying on the programme this morning, he wants to see the data. He wants to know, are they going to make a liar of him effectively? Because he stood up there and he endorsed them last year. And now we've been told they can't get the data until the springtime. And he wants that data published now. So we know, are the things working? And if they are working, great. And if they're not, why not? And did we waste 400,000 euro of taxpayers' money. Caller says Colum Kelleher was waffling a bit, I think. He got his schedule of events for the week on the Friday and says he only opened it when Finbar, that's Finbar Archer, the driver, uh, gave was going through Pana the following Monday. Had he read it when he got it, he could have made some inquiries. That's when it's given to him Friday p.m. It's part of the job. And he openly admitted that, that he got it on the Friday but he had a rake of functions and events and things to be at over the weekend and sometimes that's just how it happens and I've worked alongside and seen enough Lords Mayor over the years to know that sometimes they're reading the brief as they're, as they're arriving and sometimes they're writing notes as they're sitting in the car waiting to start it, it just goes with the flow, it goes with the territory but you're entitled to that view caller, he admitted it though he hadn't he hadn't prepped up on them. He took the notes at face value, defended the thing, endorsed the thing, came on here and defended the spending of the money. And now he's wondering, are they going to make a layer of it? Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. Today's International Doggy Day. And I want to see your doggy. It's just a bit of fun. It's Friday. There's no prize, no nothing. I just want to see your doggy. I want to see your cute little dog. Uh, WhatsApp a picture or bang it onto our Twitter at OpinionLine96 or send it to us on Facebook Messenger, uh, the Cork 96 fan. I want to see your doggy. Everyone's got a picture of their doggy uh, in their phone. So send me a picture of your doggy. All right, I'll, I'll tweet pictures of mine there in just a sec as soon as I have an opportunity. So just for fun, there's no prize here. There's no nothing. I just want to see a picture of your doggy for International Doggy Day. And we, if we get some really nice ones, we might share them. Just, just, yeah. 083, 396, 96, 96. Now, Eileen, you were listening yesterday when we were talking about dogs at weddings and how places like the Charleville Park Hotel really make a big big effort for dogs at weddings and we were joking that maybe dogs get their hair done at, at Peter Barks and things like that. Your your dog was your bridesmaid, Eileen. Hi PJ, yeah, she was her bridesmaid. She was a big part of her day. Um, I suppose at times Dave didn't know whether he was getting married to Melanie or him. <laughs> yeah, she was a huge part of her day and I was delighted to have her there. Melanie um, is the dog's name. Yeah, we we absolutely adore her. She's like a, a daughter. Um so yeah, she had her flower collar on and yeah, she was waiting at the top of the altar then for me when I came in. So I think she kinda of relaxed everyone as well on the day. Um what kind of a dog is she? Attention off me. What kind of a dog <laughs> is she? She's a Labrador Retriever. She's 15 years old. Uh, she's a beautiful yeah. old deer at this stage. Yeah, she is. She's lovely. She's after kind of slowing down now a good bit. So um, there's, I suppose there's a lot more work when they start slowing down. But we love looking after her. Um, she's the first thing we see every morning and the last thing we see every night. And Yeah. yeah Have you got her since she was a puppy? Yeah, I got her when I was 15 years old. Um, I went with my dad to Johnstown 
and all the rest of the puppies were kind of jumping up on the timber and she kind of stayed at the back and was doing nothing and I was like oh I want her and he <laughs> he was kind of saying she's not very lively you should get one of the other ones but yeah she's she's amazing I love her to bits she was the one that looked up at you did she did she look up or did she yeah, yeah I just like the way that she kind of wasn't bothered with the rest of it yeah. <laughs> you know so <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And and like, what was she then, what, maybe 10 weeks, 12 weeks old? I think she was maybe eight or nine weeks. Um, yes. I had to wait another week then to get her because she had to get injections. And I was on to my dad every day saying, can we get her today? Can we get her? And he's like, no, she needs to get her injections. So um, eventually we got her anyway. And uh, yeah, she's been, she's been with me for 15 years. Fantastic. Um, she comes everywhere with me. My car is absolutely destroyed and dog cares. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and your other half just has to live with this, like? Yeah, so he, at the start, I suppose, he didn't really like dogs that much. Um, oh, God. And he, I, so when I moved in with David, um, he was like, oh, you can bring your dog, but you'll have to leave her at the back. You'll have to get a, I get a, get a shed for her. So I was like, grand. So I went away and bought a shed for, I think. Oh, I was, I thought you were going to say there's more chance of you living in a shed, bud. <laughs> yeah. So I went away and bought a shed for 350 euro and we put her at the back and she barked for about 10 minutes and I was like, no, she, she, she can't stay out there. <laughs> so, oh, fabulous. Um, yeah, so our house is full of those lint rollers to get the hairs off your clothes and <laughs> yeah, she... Um, yeah, we, we love her to bits. She's and great. Melanie, we did a thing here a few months ago about uh, dogs and cats, but dogs in particular with human names. Where'd you get Melanie from? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, it just kind of, I suppose, suited her. Right. I don't know. She looked like a Melanie. <laughs> yeah. If that's what Melanie looks like. <laughs> People yeah. think I'm crazy, I'm sure. But um, yeah, no, she came to her reception as well. Um, that was a big thing for us. We kind of, we don't like leaving her with other people. Um, she kind of has attachment issues. So we brought her to the venue and she stayed with us there for the two days. So uh, it was great. I just looked at the picture of her here with the collar. At the way. She's a beauty. Yeah, she's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And I suppose she was sick then two weeks before the wedding. So... I wasn't sleeping or anything and she was at the vets and we were unsure whether she'd actually make the wedding or not. Oh. So we were delighted that she did. Yeah, her kind of back legs are giving up on her. Yeah, I um, So, yeah, she's she's it, brilliant. It's worse than children, isn't it, though? In fairness, it's worse yeah, than children. Yeah, like, I hate, I hate saying it, but she's... Um, She's oh, she's my whole life. Like I look forward to going home to see her after work. She's always wagging her tail the minute you come in the door. She's the best welcome home that I you know. could ask for. I know. Um, I know. You can go in after so. the worst day. My two fools, when I go home now, whenever time I go home today, they will tear it down until they get a rub and a bicky. <laughs> yeah, she's the same. You know, she loves her um her biscuits. Yeah, yeah, I know. So um, that's fantastic. Brilliant. 
Yeah. So she was bridesmaid at your wedding. I'm not too sure anyone can beat that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Eileen, thanks very much. She's a beauty. Eileen and Melanie, 15-year-old, gorgeous lab retriever. She was a bridesmaid at Eileen's wedding. Can you beat that? We're getting a pile of pictures sent in. I love that. We want to see your, your doggy for International Dog Day. Um, but I want to add, can anyone beat that? I mean, you know, bridesmaid at your wedding. I The only thing I can think of that'll beat that like is sort of godmother to your first child or something. I mean, or I don't, I don't know. Hang on. No, I, I saw this and I said, right, bridesmaid at a wedding, a dog, a bridesmaid at a wedding. Now, Bernie Fenton, goats, explain yourself, woman. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What happened? Um, so we had kid goats, but it was a surprise for my husband. He didn't know at the time. Um, and I suppose it was more to relax me and take the limelight out off of me. So I decided to have two kid goats that were a male and a female. Um, and we had I had him dressed up in a veil with pink and a top hat and a hoodie bow. Um, so yeah, they were at the they were outside the church. Obviously, they were at the gate either side of the gate going into the churchyard. Um, and the priest knew about it, but the priest actually five days before the wedding was going to Lourdes on a pilgrimage. So we ended up with another priest, and he obviously had forgotten to mention it to the priest. Where where, where did this happen? Where was the wedding? Ballygarvan. Right. Ballygarvan Church. So throughout the, I suppose my husband arrived down to the church first. He had a neighbour, actually, Johnny O'Brien, who has car sales and he had a beautiful car. He was bringing them down in. So my husband said, keep going. I'm not getting out. What is she after doing? He couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you, he'd no idea you were doing he this. No at all, no. And what, does, what? You said to take the, the limelight, but what, what possessed you? I mean, you have you've had you have a goat yourself, or you had a goat. We had a goat, yeah. That we we got a goat because we ran kind of an acre and a half to keep the grass down, and that goat then, I suppose it would be used to go roaming into the neighbours, and then go it got stuck in the neighbours' cat flap one day. So after about two years, we gave the goat to another neighbour, um, who's a farmer, and he, the goat had kids then, so they were the two kids. The goat got the goat got stuck in the neighbours. Cat flap. The goat broke loose. Yeah, <laughs> he was chasing the cat. Well, she was chasing the cat, and she went through to the goat. <laughs> he got her head stuck in the cat flap. Oh, I'm trying to see that in my mind's eye. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Look, it was it was it was in the country, and I suppose I was brought up on a farm, and I suppose both on the day, both my parents weren't there, so I, I was very nervous, obviously, and I was very emotional. Yeah. So it kind of it was a bit of free entertainment for everybody. Um. So throughout the mask and all years, ma, ma. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, do you practice that line? Did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, no, something different. It was something different. The veil at the top hat. I, I presume you have photographs. Yeah, definitely. Will you send us one? I will, I'll try and, I, well I don't have my album with me, I'm down in Garrettstown, but um, I will, I'll send it on the WhatsApp, I'll find it there somewhere. Brilliant. Bernie, that's a great story. That's a no, fabulous, two great stories. The, the, day, the day the goat broke loose and got stuck in the neighbour's cat flap, it's a whole oh, new yeah. verse to a, favorite, a famous song. Bernie Fenton, thank you. Beat that. So we have a Labrador retriever who is a bridesmaid, and we have two goats who were, I suppose you call them page boys and page girls. Met everyone. In you know what? 
and no disrespect to Belly Garvin, it's about the only place in Ireland you'd see that. And you'd go, ah, oh, that's all right. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can you beat that? Can you beat? It's some gorgeous pictures of of dogs. I can't see them myself in here, but we'll 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 share some of them if they're really nice ones. It's International Doggy Day. Let's celebrate our four legged friends. Send us your pictures to WhatsApp 083 396 96 And if anybody can beat those two stories, you know the number. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Ah, would you look? Would you look? Look. Ah, for goodness sake, look at them. I, I had me wrong screen up. Now I can see your doggies. Ah, they're gone. Ah, for God's sake. I thought my two were cute. So I did. I haven't put mine up yet on, on Twitter. I will in a sec. It's International Doggy Day. We want the pictures of your dogs to 083 396 96 I'm going to let Fiona and Fergal pick maybe two or three beauties to share with you on Twitter or maybe on Facebook if we can get them up. But yeah, I want your doggies. 083 396 96 for International Doggy Day. Just before I go to a very exciting day, a very exciting uh, September coming up for Rose and her band Citadel. Just to remind you one more time, we are partnered with VHI this weekend for Park Run. And we have a chance today for you to win a Fitbit Versa 2. Now, you can do this whether you walk it or jog it or run it or whether you just want to be a volunteer. If you want to bring your dog once they're on the lead or under control, you can do that at your local park any Saturday, half past nine. You'll find where your local one is at the website parkrun.ie. In Ballancolic tomorrow at half nine, Nina Carberry will be there. She'll be partnered with VHI leading the warm-up for the park run and there'll be a lucky dip of goodies and giveaways and surprises for all the park run pals that's Ballon College tomorrow morning at half nine but anywhere you can find a park run at parkrun.ie now Rose and the band Citadel Hi. tell me about Citadel Rose ok so Citadel uh, was formed I think it was 2018 with uh, people from like the region so we, we first had uh, organized collection of guitars I think I even went on, on the radio then asking for guitars and we got loads of them from people from Cork City and we then got some guitar lessons but also people came together to jam you know in the direct provision centre in Kinsale Road and uh, we then saw all the talent that was there so we decided to organise a World Music Day and then uh, we were asked to go and perform all over the place so we needed a name and we called ourselves Citadel so it's a band of um, of people who live in direct provision but also refugees 
Um, we have uh, a Syrian refugee there as well. So it's a bit a mixture of many, many people who play music from home, so from their own countries, and uh, who accompany each other. So you will have a Ukrainian uh, singer with a Burundian guitar player, an Indian tabla player, and an Angolan uh, jemba player, you know. So How many of it's you are there, Rolf? Um, well, it depends, you know, it, it, it grows and then it shrinks because we, we had to stop during COVID, of course, and uh, a lot of people moved out. So we now have new people, but we, we vary between uh, six and ten people. <clears throat> now, uh, yeah. this has got to be the most exciting development in the history of Citadel. You're playing electric picnic. <laughs> How did that come about? <laughs> I don't know. We got a call. We got a call from someone in Electric Picnic who is organizing. It's like a side event. Uh, it's in the Afro-Irish tent. I think that's what they call it. And uh, they had heard talking about us and they really liked what we're doing. And so they called us up and uh, there we go. We're going to Electric Picnic. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's really amazing. We're all so happy about it, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be great because we, we've been rehearsing a good few times. We, with, uh, there's a South African, Burundian, uh, the Ukrainian man, Andre, with his beautiful voice. Um, uh, there is an Angolan man. We were joined by an Algerian Darbuka player and our Indian tabla player. And it's just going to be amazing yeah if anyone who listens is going to electric picnic i hope you come and, and watch us I'm, I'm, I'm not going to electric picnic but I'm, I'm hoping i'll see video of this afterwards because this sounds brilliant now how you how are you getting there well that's now the issue okay we were looking for buses and the organizers of the afro-irish tent also uh, have been contacting many many buses uh, none of them are available or the ones that are available are extremely expensive and uh, that was just not feasible so i managed to uh, talk to the people of the Cork life center you know Don O'Leary, and we can use their bus but we need a bus driver and we also need insurance for a day. So they've got um, a bus, but they don't have a driver. So, right. So the bus is there, provided by the Life Centre. Um, yes. But you need yeah. a driver and insurance. We need a bus driver. So someone with a, with a driver's licence, yeah, for a bus. And then we need a one-day insurance to cover us. Yeah. I guess if, um, the, if the driver was driving professionally, they possibly have their own insurance that they could put. I don't know how yeah. these things work. I've I been I've been looking for insurance and um, so far not very successful. Okay. Yeah, hopefully that would work. Yeah. Okay. Well, someone will surely know where you should go and what you should do about that. But you've got the bus supplied by yeah. the Life Centre and uh, no better people. Yeah. And you need a driver. And there's a there's a ticket I need for an electric picnic in, in it for the driver. And he will get a ticket and he will also get a, a fee, you know, for the day, yeah, to be paid by electric picnic. And he gets, yeah, he can come and enjoy electric picnic with us. Oh, so <laughs> like so, the driver will be paid? The driver will be paid, yeah, by the, he will get a fee by um, electric those. picnic will pay him. If, if, I had, mm. if I had a bus driver's license, I'd be off with you myself. I know. <laughs> I but mean, I it's exciting, isn't but it? But I don't. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Rose, listen, good luck with it. I'm delighted for with the story and the opportunity presented to Citadel. I hope I get to see a video 
of what you do. And let's see if we can. Oh, work. absolutely. Got a boss. Yeah, they're going to make videos. So they told us so it will definitely be on YouTube afterwards. Brilliant. So we got a boss. Sure. We just need a driver. Yeah. And the driver will be yeah. paid and get a ticket for electric picnic. Just need a button, need, yeah. need insurance sorted out. Yeah. Good luck with Absolutely. that. And they can contact us and we'll put them in contact with you. Or indeed, they can contact the Life Centre, I suppose, and, and they'll sort it out there. Rose Demol from Citadel, a group put together from people in direct provision and from refugees and all that. And between six and ten people, they've been invited to play at electric picnic. They have a bus. They need a driver uh, with all the qualifications obviously and to get insurance and you'll get a ticket for electric picnic and you'll get paid now there's a deal would be hard to turn down I tell you I'm not joking you here if I had if I had the appropriate license then it would be a no brainer I'd begun with them now you'll remember a week or two ago I went out to visit the Walsh family in Ballincollig and I talked to Sandra while I was out there and she showed me around the house herself and her mom care for her dad Jim Jim has vascular dementia and the poor man he knows exactly what's going on around him but he can do nothing for himself except literally breathe and they need care and a few weeks ago they lost all of their care and it's Sonia and her mom just doing it together and it's not sustainable for them and I know that Deputy Colin Burke um, is on the on the case and, and seeing what he can do and a few others trying to help as well but they've still got nothing and she went through what a typical day is and it's backbreaking, exhausting work for herself and her mum she's been on to us again to say hi PJ, just an update we're now finishing week six of having no home help with dad and there's still no sign of any help becoming available the latest information we have is that a report is being sought to find out how we got to this point. That's great, but it won't give us the help that we need today. One HSE manager suggested last Monday that we put Dad into long-term residential care. That is an easy way for the HSE to get rid of the problem. You met Dad, you saw how aware he is of what's going on, and that was late in the day when he's somewhat less alert. I did, I did. And I I remember looking across at Jim while I was talking to Sonia and he was taking it all in. You could see it in his eyes. He was taking in the whole conversation, absolutely aware of what was going on around him. I have a place, she says, on a master's programme starting on September 12th. Unfortunately, if help isn't in place before that, so we can, you know, have proper introductions to dad and show the carers how to work with them, then I won't be able to take up my place. With two weeks to go, I'm now facing the real prospect of giving up this opportunity. I'm not doing it for fun. I'm doing it to get myself properly certified in an area that will allow me to work from home on my own schedule and combine my existing skills with caring for dad. In his full mind, it would break his heart to know that this was happening to me. Can the HSE please wake up and do something? The doggy pictures that are coming in are just gas on WhatsApp for International Doggy Day. I love the one where you you turned your back for a second and the dog stole your dinner. I, it's just because they'll do that. 
Oh, blast it, they will do that. They will so do that. Keep them coming, the last few, to 083 396 96 96. Now, Cormac Mohalley joins me to talk about the pitched circus and street arts festival. Exciting times, Let Cormac. Let see, how does this... If I'm on the loudspeaker. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's not quite good to go yet. As soon as he's good to go, give me a shout there, Fee. We'll bring him in. Uh, yeah, we got some lovely ones. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, come here. Let me go. Okay, I'll do that. Let me go back to the air pollution story from earlier on and Colm Kelleher and the robot trees and John Maher and the robot trees and all of that air pollution thing. I'm reminded, Fergal reminds me of a story, a coroner has made legal history in the UK by ruling that air pollution was a cause of death in the case of a nine-year-old girl. It's a big story. Philip Barlow is the coroner for Inner South London. And the girl, little girl was called Ella, died in February 13. Yeah, February 2013. It was called by acute respiratory failure, severe asthma and air pollution exposure. And we were talking during the week about the nitrogen oxide or nitrogen dioxide or NOx survey that's happening in Cork over the next month. This coroner said that Ella was exposed to nitrogen dioxide and particulate matter in excess of World Health Organization guidelines. And the principal source of that was traffic emissions. So that's a brilliant story from, well, sad story, but a story from the UK where a coroner and did say in their inquest, they're summing up that the death of a young girl was by air pollution. OK, let's get back to Cormac and the uh, Pitched Circus and Street Arts Festival. Hi, Cormac. Hi, how's it going, PJ? You're Exciting times. You're there, you're there with Noel. I'll talk to you in a minute. Um, but yeah. tell me about the festival. Oh, well, so this is the fifth year of the Pitch Circus and Street Arts Festival. And uh, it's, it's actually, it's blown up some, since last year. Last year was a bit tricky to organise because we were never sure what we could organise. But this year we've got partnerships with the Everyman, Firkin Crane, Marina Market, Tequila Jacks, Opera Lane, Douglas, Douglas Street a Business Association. And we're also down in McCroom Food Fair. So it's kind of like it's 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 nearly like the the festival was on a trajectory for the first three years, and then last year it was it was successful, um, but it was a bit really really hard to organise. But this year it's been a bit it's been a breeze. We've got a great team, and we've got shows in as I said, the Firkin Crane, the Everyman, Marina Market, uh, Lapsky, all over the shop. Yeah. So the history of it is it 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 literally was a number of circus and street performers like. I know, jugglers and unicyclers and that kind of thing, getting together just to be in the one place at the one time. It has grown legs and become an actual festival across several venues. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, when we uh, we were down in Albert Key, there was a, like a um, circus factory down in Albert Key, and we moved down to the marina uh, five years ago, and that's when I started the festival. I applied for a festival funding, got it, so we could reconnect with the city. Like it's it's it, 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 art centres and all of that kind of thing. They they need to have you know connect with the audience so i thought the festival would be a perfect way to do that and what's happened since the pandemic now is actually the city is coming down to us that's why we're teaming up with the marina market um because it's it's let's say getting gentrified a little bit we've got really nice coffee now across the way from circus factory Mm. yeah that that whole area has taken on a life yeah. and a mind of its own and it's just brilliant it's an absolute jewel in the crown now and anyone visiting the city 
you know, who wants to get yeah, so a bite like, to eat, you bring one, them down, you know. Yeah, one of the events that we have down there is on September 17th. It's called a Fired Up Cabaret. It's a free show, but we, we, we put it in our program as a ticketed one. Just kind of, you know, like book a, book a free ticket. But we're getting down in a big aerial, outdoor aerial rig, and we're having a, late, um, a Fired Up Cabaret. So we're going to be featuring some fire performers from the Rogu Fire Festival. It's down in Ballydehob this weekend. And it'll be family friendly, but we're also having we're having a late night cabaret in our own space the night before on the Friday. That is not family friendly. Just to kind of be aware of that. There grown are up, grown up humor that, like. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> going to like there, there'll probably be a bit of nudity, but I hope that the the name of the show, <laughs> Late Night Cabaret, will will ensure people know what they're coming to. But then we also have like our festival gala at four p.m. in the Everyman on the eighteenth. So and that's already selling really well. So that's thanks to the the collaboration with the Everyman. Like that, you know, it's just once you're on that bigger stage, people are aware of you. And and the mm. the lineup is looking like stellar. We've actually got an act over for that from New York, Bill Irwin. Um, so it's like this is a chance to see some international and national circus and street arts. Yeah. Like it's a long festival too. It's not just one weekend. You're running for what, a couple of weeks. <laughs> Look, that's in one sense, it's like somebody said that as well. Why did you keep the one weekend? It's like, well, a, a couple. There was a couple of reasons. One, we've got the opening show of Tea Time Company up in Firkin Crane, and they were there. Their dates were locked. So it was like, look, let's have a nice opening weekend. Not too much on. There's a really interesting workshop as well from the Punch Drunk Enrichment team. They're over from the UK. They're an international um, immersive theatre company. Um, so that's kind of like, I want to take part in that, and I don't want to go see shows. Then the next weekend, there is a lot on the middle weekend. Um, because the last weekend is Culture Night, and Culture Night's just yeah. a great way to kind of. I don't. We don't need to do any promotion. We just go down to the street in the Colquay, and there's people everywhere. Yeah. So therefore, the budget doesn't have to go into marketing because Culture Night does all of that. Yeah, and we're we're and we're, then, we're partners with Culture Night, and so we've been talking a lot about it. So remind me to, yeah. to give you another big plug for it. Uh, Tell me about Circus Factory because I I think a lot of people oh yeah. don't know that here in Cork we actually have had for a number of years Cormac a place where people can go to learn circus. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know what? It's like it's growing and growing. In fact, in September, right in the middle of the festival, we're also starting a three-month course. I think there might actually be a couple of places left on it for anybody age kind of eighteen to thirty who have like backgrounds in gymnastic and would like to do a three-month full-time introductory course to circus. Wow! Well, I suppose and what kind of things will they learn? Uh, across the board, there's going to be acrobatics, aerial acrobatics, juggling, Diablo, um, a bit of um, how to devise true dance, how to devise true theatrical uh, clown. Um, so it's it's kind of it's an introductory course. So kind of everything. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, uh, and we have some people coming from Galway and up the country who come through youth circus. And that's something in my career over the last 22 years, I've seen circus become an art form. I've seen these spaces yeah. like up in Galway and Dublin and Clock Jordan that, it, that it is, it, it's, a, it's um, somebody told me recently, it's the fastest growing art form in Ireland at the moment. Wow. Like it's, it's quite, it's quite an engaging practice for people who want to get fit and they don't need to perform, but the actual skill of going to one of our classes in the evening is quite, um, it's really fun and then gets you fit. You're not just going to the gym to work out. You're going to do something that's fun 
And let me just remind everybody who thinks Airy looks really beautiful. It's also very, very painful. Hanging upside down, wrapped up in ropes is not a comfortable position. So you're, that's, that's where your muscles kind of develop so, yeah. their tension and, and kind of wherewithal. Like. Yeah, and um, you can learn it all. Yeah, and then we have youth circus um, and social circus. And that's something like last year we were working with the county council to work with the direct provision so we use circus as a social tool to overcome like failure, juggling, like every, everything I've ever juggled has fallen on the ground. So I've had to overcome that to pick it back up. It develops resilience. You know, doing uh, aerial acrobatics to turn yourself upside down requires courage and bravery. So we use then for young people, social circus as a tool to, to empower them. So all of that is absolutely fantastic. But I will say one thing, we're getting crippled with insurance. That is something that is just off the scale. People don't understand what circus is. Like our insurance company recently went, and do you have nets under you? And you're like, we're not doing flying trapeze. All we're doing is hanging from a trapeze that's about a meter and a half off the ground. But people picture circus flying through the air. So you're going, have you got nets? And you're like, you don't know what we do, do you? And they just, they look, they just gave us a figure and like, it's kind of like, will you go away money? But we don't want to go away. This is what we do. do yeah. We, you know, we love doing it. So like, look, um, w- w- insurance is crippling the country, but it's, uh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on a broadcaster. I said, I'd say it. Well, you know what? I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you did, Cormac, because it, it is crippling the country and crippling many, many businesses like yours. You talk about social circus. Now, <laughs> Meeting someone through circus, uh, you've oh, yeah. taken that to a whole new <laughs> level. She's on line one. Noelle. Hello, PJ. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. How good. are you? Great all together. Tell me about meeting this fella. Um, 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 I met Cormac, I guess, 15 years when, he, when, when I when went I to an open to session in circus, at that stage they were in a place in the centre of town and I went down to have a look and see what was um, going on and Cormac was doing the warm-up and stuff and um, we, I suppose, yeah, got to know each other through that and he was off on tour, I was off on tour, blah, blah and then about nine years ago I suppose we became closer friends so we were just, we were hanging around maybe in the same, doing the same kind of festivals and stuff and became, just kept bumping into each other a bit more that way and yeah. became friends. And, and, uh, and I think something happened recently. Something happened recently. <laughs> yeah. We, we, over COVID, he was a great, um, a great friend, great shoulder to cry on actually for a lot of it. And, uh, yeah, it's so we just became closer and closer and found ourselves looking at each other in a different way. <laughs> Go on, tell the full story. Uh, she, she, we, we were out having a, a social evening ourselves, and she turned around and said, "Shift me." <laughs> okay. Um, so that was the start. That was the start of our. So uh, hang on a second now. You've known each other how long at this stage? I think we first met in 2009 and we started becoming really good friends in 2015. When we left Alberquay, we actually made um, a show together right. in, in Alberquay. I asked her to... So we just started And it took on to lockdown. It took on to lockdown for a turnaround. and say, will you shift me for God's sake? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then la, um, that would have been Easter, not Easter just gone, but Easter before. 
and we were celebrating World Circus Day at Wandersford Quay. Yeah. Um, it was a thing called Fuin's Fair. So it was the last time we'd put on a big show. Um, and anyway, I was doing the MC and Noel was being the stagehand. And in the second show, I, uh, I, I got down on one knee and proposed to her on the stage. Oh, so it all happened very quickly afterwards, like. Well, look, we didn't know each other that long. And, <laughs> so you kind of said, you know, Noel, are you going to make something out of this or not? Do I have to drag you down here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everybody thought it was a bit in the show until they saw her face. Just like... <laughs> I was dumbstruck. Yeah. I was very dumbstruck. That's, it's a fantastic story. That's because br- I didn't. I didn't know that you had to actually turn around to him in the middle of lockdown. Will you, for God's sake, kiss me, you man? man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to do that That's either. the best story ever. Listen, good luck with Pitched. P-I-T-C-H apostrophe D. People will find all the details of the festival. Cormac, Mahali and Noel Neerigan. When is the big day, by the way? Oh, we're probably planning a kind of an uh, April 24. Right. My whole family live around the world, so trying to get them back. Right. Like one is in New Zealand and the other is in Nicaragua. You're going to organise so. a big top to do it in? Looking we at- are talking about it. We do have friends who've got a big top. We could do it, but look, get what is it? Moving house, uh, getting married, and having babies are just the things in life. So we're, we'll we'll take it easy. We're, I'll get through this festival first, and then I can start thinking a bit more about the, uh, the okay. wedding. And All we're right. putting Pit- it. It's not next April. It'll be the April after. All right, pitched festival, pitched street and circus festival. Starts 9th September and runs right through till the end. That's a great story. Cormac and Noel known each other for years and years and years and years. And he wasn't taking the hints. And now they're getting married. And I, I, I think a big top. I think it ha- has to be a big top. There has to be a big top for that thing. Thank you, guys. You're listening to Highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.